You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Sunday, August the 27th. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. And really what I should have done off the top is introduce the show as Sunday Bloody Sunday because that's what it's been all year for this baseball club. I no longer have the wherewithal to give you the extent of my frustration when watching the Blue Jays play on a day when families come out and pay top dollar to witness what is an abysmal, abysmal performance on the field. Uh, the Jays dropped a 7-2 decision to the Minnesota Twins, and unfortunately, Joe Biagini struggled mightily. And as a result, the Blue Jays dropped two out of three to a team that they were chasing in the standings, find themselves sitting around six games back. The sands of time hourglass that is this regular season is slowly dwindling. Uh, at this stage in the game moving forward, the Blue Jays are playing for a tremendous amount of pride, including players like Josh Donaldson, Marcus Stroman, Justin Smoke. And in some ways, that's reassuring. I want you all to appreciate that even in a season of diminished expectations and doom and gloom, I think we can hold our heads up high, anticipating what whatever next year brings, knowing that this organization is still grasping the extent of what fan commitment is really all about. And this roundtable that I have for you on tonight's show is a reflection of all those sentiments related to things like nostalgia, loyalty, and hope. And for a Blue Jays team that clearly, clearly underperformed this year and struggled with mighty injuries, and you'll notice I put it in that order for a reason. I'm not going to sit here and pontificate in any shill-like manner as to my contempt for players who simply didn't earn their paycheck this year. And I think you know exactly whom I'm speaking of. Glancing up and down the Blue Jays roster, you'll notice that there are maybe two, maximum three players who've overachieved this year. And if we understand the definition of what overachievement represents, there's a reason why Justin Smoke and Marcus Stroman should be considered MVPs of this team. And looking further beyond that, we have to start asking ourselves, who are the players that failed to perform that even by having an average year would still have put the Blue Jays in postseason contention? And of course, I'm referring to names such as Kendris Morales and Russell Martin and Troy Tulowitzki and Kevin Pillar and Jose Bautista. And then suddenly, the list gets really big. And it doesn't stop there, because Marco Estrada struggled mightily this year. And Francisco Liriano was an absolute bust. So, without sounding too cynical, if you start putting the pieces together and compare it with the 26 or 27 players that they've had on the DL, your conclusion probably sounds like, hmm, not much value for management and the front office, and certainly very little for the fans. So to think that management isn't interested in making this team better or addressing what has been our anus horribilis for the crestfallen fan, let's think twice and try to understand the full scope of what's happened before we write 2018 completely off. Chris Henderson, site expert at Jay's Journal, is here. Brent Cardi, podcaster and blogger. And Colin Teske from the Fan 590, podcaster and sports journalist. Gentlemen, I'm going to start with you, Brent. What is going on with Sundays in Toronto? Why are the Blue Jays, in particular, when they do get blown out, this horrible in the fundamentals and in all aspects of the game on Sunday afternoons? Why is this happening? You know, I I can't put my finger on it right now, but, uh, you know, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of things out there. Let's start with debt. I mean, starting pitching debt is not good. Joby Eugenie, absolutely, he was great in AAA, but he didn't execute well today. And uh, that consistently on those Sundays seems to be a problem. 
And, you know, you look at Miguel Montero, yeah, he scored a run, but I don't think he calls a great game. I don't think he can throw a guy out. If I can steal off Miguel Montero, that's going to be a problem. Um, and then, you know, the bullpen. I mean, the whole cast of characters, they've been solid, as solid as they can be, really. I mean, you look at Tim Maez, who's been up and down. Dominic Leone's been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And other than that, I mean, I don't really have an answer. I mean, I know we got Darren Barney up the middle, the Ryan Goins, but Goins has been better. I, I just can't put my finger on this team and where where they want to go and what their plans are going forward. Yeah, it just sort of feels like, I don't know what it is. It's, it's a Sunday. I always get the sense like they're just waiting for the season to be over at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with the way that things have gone in the last couple of weeks, we had kind of a couple of weeks ago there was a glimmer of hope and that's kind of been dashed at this point so I don't know what it is it just seems like there's not quite the same motivation I know like I'm sure it's not like okay boys it's Sunday let's all phone it in but for whatever reason it just seems like when we're all sitting on the couch waiting for a nice afternoon of baseball we get treated with uh, another lovely game like that what's especially sad for me is to get back to that subject that I always bring up over and over again which is the the notion of fan value and I'm thinking to myself a lot of people showed up this afternoon. A lot of time, money, and effort is still being invested in this team. And it's it's so disappointing to come up with such a lame effort. And, you know, Brent, you brought up Biagini. What exactly, what our realistic expectations are? Let me ask you this, Colin. Joe Biagini, how long is this experiment really going to continue? And really, should it continue? Should he be forced into the starter's role when clearly this year he's demonstrated that he's just not ready? He needs more AAA seasoning. Well, I think AAA seasoning is something that he still needs to do, whether that's at the start of next year where they put him down there and they can give him and get more of a sample size from that standpoint. I think that's a good idea. But I think with Joe Biagini, the one thing you have to preach is patience with this guy because he's made no qualms about it. He wants to be a starter, but he's doing everything the team wants him to do. And the team has been a little bit inconsistent. They've had him in the bullpen. They've had him in the starting rotation. That can be very tough on a pitcher day-to-day to not really know where you stand. So I think going into next year, they have to make a real hard decision. Is he going to be a bullpen guy long-term, or is he going to be a starter? I think he has the stuff to be a starter. This season he hasn't necessarily shown that, but I think if you give this guy a year or two to really develop and be an actual starter, we'll actually see what this guy has, and I think the results will be more favorable as opposed to being 50-50 on if he's a bullpen guy or a starter. Yeah, and you kind of touched on something that is, you know, it's always been a thing that's been a bit of a thorn in my side. I never like to see guys moving back and forth between roles, and I understand a lot of that's been necessitated with the injuries that have happened in Toronto this year, and, you know, the trade of Liriano was the reason he got sent down the second time. But, um, you know, I haven't been thrilled or overly optimistic watching him as a starter, but I also... I agree. You know, I think there needs to be some consistency for the guy before we can really get a true judgment on him. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be a top shelf or even mid-rotation starter, but uh, I, I do think he could be a serviceable back of the rotation starting pitcher and, uh, you know, on a minimum time salary for next year. Maybe he fills that fifth spot role admirably. I'm not sure, but uh, I would certainly think that this last month is going to be uh, is going to go a long way to determining that. To me, as far as the rope goes, um, I think he needs to, to me he needs to show some promise here before the season's out as a starter, or uh, or else he needs to spend a lot of time in AAA next year, or just be a bullpen guy. I don't want to see him start uh, struggle the rest of this year and then start next year in rotation. That's not something I think is good for anybody. I echo the same sentiments, too. And, and, I mean, like you guys said, it's very hard on the guy, but it's also potentially dangerous, too, especially a guy who throws the amount of breaking balls that BGD has. 
I mean, you're asking a lot, like you guys said, to, to go mm-hmm. to the bullpen to start to stretch out, to go back to the bullpen. And I mean, at the same token, I mean, Ross Atkins is bringing in Brett Anderson, you bring in Tom Kohler. Did it even have to get to this point if those were the plans? You know, you could have just stuck with Beijing in the bullpen and, you know, maybe you, you just go with Anderson in Toronto or you just start Kohler once mm-hmm. you get him, and, which is what they did. But, you know, like you guys said, there's got to be some sort of direction for him going forward. I just think, too, when you look at Joe Biagini, I mean, the poor guy has been forced to play whatever role they've given him because last year they've had issues in the bullpen, so they made him a bullpen guy. Yeah. This year they've had issues with starting pitching, and they've moved him to be a starting pitcher. So for Joe Biagini, he's in a lose-lose situation where the Jays have shown in both the bullpen and starting pitching the last two years, they've had some holes, they've had some deficiencies, and he's been the utility guy that's almost been too nice and been willing to do those roles. And now they've kind of stretched him too thin. And I think they're getting a player that doesn't really know where he stands and are kind of messing with his confidence too much. And it's such a a delicate process in that regard because we know the best laid plans go awry when it came to when it came to the pitching staff this year. I mean, it's almost laughable to think that four or five months ago we were all talking with everyone who would listen about this vaunted Blue Jays five-man rotation that endured, uh, you know, a picture of perfect health and now finds itself being in the exact opposite situation. So that that left for, for a team that was in disarray pretty much, it seems like, since the beginning. But I'm wondering, I'm going to ask you this, Chris, to start us off. If you were to look back at the year, and ask yourself who truly was this team's MVP. I'm going to assume you're going to decide between either Justin Smoke or Marcus Stroman. Who was this team's MVP this year? Uh, you know, I, I would probably throw my vote at Stroman just uh, for the sake of for the biggest reason. I mean, you can make the same argument for Smoke, but uh, our rotation has been just such a sore spot throughout the year. You know, Estrada's had ups and downs, Haps battled injury, Liriano battled injury. Um, Sanchez has been a non-factor completely. And I really don't know where we'd be without Stroman. He's been the guy that uh, when he gets the ball every fifth day, he at least gives us a chance to win. And I know as a fan, for me, I I certainly am more apt to tune in when he's on the mound this season for sure. So as great as Justin Smoke has been and as wonderful as that story has been, uh, my vote goes to Stroman. I'm going to vote Justin Smoke on this one. And I don't think there's any right answer. I think both are admirable candidates for the MVP of this team this season. But with Justin Smoke, no one expected him to be the guy that could come out here and be an everyday first baseman, given his contract they gave him last year. And a lot of people were outraged that they were going to give Justin Smoke this type of promotion with not much results to back it up. And the fact that he's been hitting home runs this season and really turned his career around, and a lot of critics thought this guy was going to be a colossal bust, given the way this guy had ro- risen through the Seattle system and come to the Blue Jays and had all that potential. I'm going to say Justin Smoke is the team MVP this year because they did have a lot of injuries in their starting lineup with Donaldson going down and Sulawitsky and Martin. And the most consistent guy all year who's played every day has been Justin Smoke. And the ceiling, I think, for this guy still hasn't been reached. Yeah, I like that one, too. I, you know, honestly, I like them both. I'm going to go with Stroman based on the fact that, you know, he's been out there every five, sometimes six days. And just what he's done, I, you know, he's encountered the same uh, blister issues that uh, Aaron Sanchez has, but he's adjusted accordingly. You know, he's been out there. He's been making his starts. And he always keeps his team in the game, no matter what. And, you know, there's just there's something about Marcus's energy that he brings to the team as well in the clubhouse. So, uh, you know, Stroman's looks solid this year. So I'm going to go with Stroman. And, of course, here's the irony, that I left out a name that 
could potentially end up finishing the year with 30 home runs and 400 at-bats. And, of course, I'm talking about Josh Donaldson. I mean, what he's been doing in particular in the last month of this baseball season for the Blue Jays is truly nuclear in nature. Brent, tell me, how does this team afford not to sign him? How, how could this team imagine a future without a player that by trading him at this stage in the game to another team justifying the future when you've already told your fan base that you're going to compete? Haven't the Blue Jays essentially handcuffed themselves to a destiny with Josh Donaldson? I would do this. I would sign Donaldson, and I would let Morales, his contract, run out. I think his contract would run out after the 2019 season. And the only reason why I say this is because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to come up. Bo Bichette is going to come up. And you can move Donaldson across the diamond if you have to, or he can DH. Uh, you know, the door kind of opens for Donaldson to step into that DH role uh, when Morales goes. And I, I don't know if anybody's looked at that possibility. But again, I mean, Josh might want a long-term deal. He'll be, I believe, 32-33, so he might want five years. Who knows? But, I mean, there's I don't think there's a reason not to sign Donaldson. I, I, you know, I mean, I know Guerrero's coming up, but I don't think that is a good enough reason not to sign him based on what he can do. Well, and we also know that it is his last contract, realistically, uh, in sure. baseball, last long-term attempt. So what does that really mean in the grand scheme? If you're Josh Donaldson, how would you say, no, I want to negotiate with the Blue, with the Blue Jays when you should be saying, wait a minute, this is the 2018 elite class of free agency. I could get big bucks. I mean, yeah, you could do that. But, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it's a different game, too. I mean, look, look, look at a lot of the failed big money contracts. You look mm-hmm. at Pablo Sandoval, right? Uh, and there's a couple, you know, that are on the top of my head and the names escape me, but... I don't, you know, I think Price might even opt out of his contract after the opt-out year. Big big contracts aren't, I don't think, are what they used to be anymore. I yeah. Don't know. See, and I typically, you know, I'm not a, generally a fan of these long-term contracts for guys on the wrong side of 30, but I think the Blue Jays have the right roster configuration that they have to keep them around. You know, looking at next year, they're they're talking and they're intending to contend, and I think the way the roster's set up, they kind of have to for next year. But even in the 2019 and uh, 2020, we've got three years remaining uh, of control over Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, and Roberto Osuna. And those guys you're talking about, the Vladimir Guerrero, the Bo Bichette, that next generation that's coming, they're not going to be ready to truly lead the team in the next three years at the big league level. They're just not going to. So if you want to take advantage of the window of opportunity that you have with Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Roberto Osuna, and those young core pieces, I think you have to keep a guy like Donaldson who could be an MVP candidate. And if you don't, if you're deciding to, that you don't need that piece, then then perhaps I think you'd start looking at a greater teardown. You know, I had a totally different opinion of this a month or two ago, but just as I've watched yeah. Donaldson tear the league apart over the last month, it's just he doesn't... He doesn't scare me uh, with his long-term potential. And I think, you know, you mentioned the five-year deal. I think if they can get him, he'll be 33 when he's a free agent. If they can sign him to a five-year deal, they absolutely have to. I'd sign him for five years and $150 million without even hesitating. But I think he's going to want six or seven years for sure anyway. Yeah, when I look at Josh Donaldson, I look at a player that could fetch you a lot of return for prospects if this team was going to go into a full-on teardown. But when you listen to Shapiro and Atkins, they're basically saying, look, they're going to forget this year, take the injuries away, write this year off, and they're going to go for it again in 2018. They've already indicated that by hiking up the ticket prices for next year. 
So if they all of a sudden do that and trade Josh Donaldson, that's where I think they're really going to rock the boat and really tick off this fan base that's continued to show up. They've had 45,000 at just about every game. So I think Josh Donaldson represents that pillar that is going to get fans still coming out to the park. He's still a player that had MVP potential. And even at the age of 32, 33 guys, I mean, for a third baseman, they typically play longer and they still have consistent numbers into their 30s. Look at guys like George Brett and players like that. At third base, you can still get a lot of durability out of Josh Donaldson. And you got to bridge that gap when Vladimir Guerrero comes up. And like Brett mentioned, when Guerrero's ready to play in and be an everyday player, then you can move Josh Donaldson potentially into the DH spot. So I think it's a win-win if they can get Donaldson. And if he wants to stay here, I would lock him up. But surely it's interesting that, and I used an analogy on last week's show where I talked about going to the bank and realizing that my uh, service fees had gone up. And then I was considering going to a different bank, but I couldn't because all their service fees went up together at the exact same rate. So needless to say, the Blue Jays as an organization understand that they're the only game in town for Canadians. And that's my great fear, Colin, and what you described is the realization that they could rationalize, hey, we don't necessarily need to commit to a large payroll or Josh Donaldson, knowing full well that if we say the right things, that eventually we can convince them to wait long enough and they'll come and see the next generation. Um, how do you feel about that, Colin? Do you feel that there could be some manipulation of fan perception, which is one of the reasons why people are so cynical? Because what you said was logically true. Ticket prices are going up, and they say they're going to compete. But they also mentioned that they're going to rebuild. Which is it? It's tough to say. It's tough to say. And I think the, the decisions that they make and the future plans change in that management department almost every week. I think they don't exactly know uh, where they're going in terms of a full teardown or if they're going to go for it again. But I think they're right. You have to be very careful with this fan base because every other team in the major leagues is looking what the Jays are doing and wondering how they can tap into it. Not only are their fans coming to games, but they're younger. They have female fans. They're diverse. I think a big reason for that is that the personalities on the Blue Jays are very marketable. And in a country like this, where they're the only show in town for baseball, I think Josh Donaldson, even Jose Bautista when he was playing better, and Edwin played very well to a national audience. But I think Josh Donaldson is the biggest personality out of this group. And I think fans gravitate towards him more than anybody else. And if he was to up and leave... And with the ticket prices going up, I think that's where you would start to see fans saying, you know what, we've supported this team for a couple of years. They haven't delivered a championship, and now we don't have a player that we can go out and watch every day. And I think he represents a big portion of fans that go to the park just to see him because they know he's an MVP guy and that he puts his heart and soul on his sleeve every game. So I think it's a very tricky spot right now, Ari. I don't really have a definitive answer, but I'm leaning more towards keeping Josh Donaldson and keeping the fans happy that way. So the Blue Jays are going to debut the 1440 greatest list, which they've actually already done, and I'm sure we've all got it either on, uh, you know, on uh, PBR or or have an idea of what the outcome was. Are you impressed that the Blue Jays have fans that are so faithful and time honored that they would put so many Blue Jays of the older generation into the top ten? I mean, names like Dave Steve, names like Tony Fernandez, names like Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar. Uh, Chris, how do you feel when you see this kind of list, knowing that it's a testament to how committed and loyal these fans are, that rather than being the latest and greatest Blue Jays, of which some made it quite high and maybe a little bit too high, I think Edwin was rated like 13th greatest Blue Jay and my jaw dropped. Um, What are your thoughts on that? 
I think it's a combination of a few things. You know, as you said, there's a loyal fan base and there's a lot of Blue Jays fans that are very aware of the history of the team and the performances of those guys that have helped shape the franchise. But I think the other part of it is, um, you know, I don't know that there's many franchises that that play on nostalgia as much as the Blue Jays do. And so, you know, if you tune in throughout the season, you're going to hear the names of George Bell and Dave Steve and Lloyd Mosby and Jesse Barfield. Those names are going to come across the TV screen once or twice a week. At least it seems like that to me. So if you're a regular fan on, uh, you know, of the current team, you're going to just, uh, you're going to learn some of the history just from having listened to some of the broadcasters talk all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I do think it's a reflection of a loyal fan base as well. But uh, to me, that, that I, was, I was pleasantly surprised as well. I think it's a great idea, and I mean, obviously, 40th anniversary was officially celebrated last year, but I guess you could do the 40 and 40 this year and get away with it, but, you know, some of the names in this countdown, uh, you know, they're kind of sprinkled all over, you know, guys that started with the team, like Jim Clancy in the 70s, and then, you know, you had Rance Mullenix, Alfredo (laughs) Griffin, you know, everything was sprinkled. I I thought it was pretty equal. I know some people are going to say... Well, Dwayne Ward should be in the top 10 and Roger Clemens should be in the top 10. But, you know, I think they got number one, right? And, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's a tough ask because there were a lot of great contributions, right, over over the past 40, 41 years. So uh, in order for this organization to celebrate that, I think it's a good thing. And like Chris said, you know, the organization always plays on loyalty, always talks about the 92-93 World Series teams. And, you know, although I don't always love that kind of banter because it takes away from the current edition of the teams, you know, I think the 2015-2016 Blue Jays kind of offset that just a little bit. Kudos to Sportsnet for doing this. I mean, obviously it's the right thing they do. I think so, too. And I think when you look at other teams, and I hate to compare them to the Red Sox or the Yankees, but what they do is they celebrate former Yankees and Red Sox all the time. And, yeah, it could sometimes be annoying to other people to watch that, but I think with the Toronto Blue Jays, they're this team that a lot of people down in the state don't know about and, frankly, don't really care about. So if you celebrate all your players from every single year and from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I think it can really separate yourselves from other teams. And then new players that come to this team realize, wait a second, they're still celebrating David Wells. They're still celebrating Mullenix and Clancy and players like that. And it makes being a Blue Jay that much more special. And I think it can sell people on the fact of coming up to Toronto. You don't just have Toronto as your fan base. You've got a national audience that continues to celebrate this team from years past. I think it's a great idea. Maybe it's just a cynic in me, gentlemen, but I think there's a fear that – as Chris mentioned, nostalgia is important. As Brent mentioned, loyalty is a component of what it means to be a fan. But there is this great fear sometimes that when you're owned by a media company and your franchise that had a history where for almost 23 years you didn't take the postseason, nostalgia ends up being kind of a natural manifestation of, of a fan who ages. Because it's one thing to have good memories to look back upon at will if you're a New York Yankees fan or a Montreal Canadiens fan. But, uh, you know, Colin, maybe you can explain to me how can a Blue Jays fan selectively look back when really all they can do if they're a millennial is look at the 15-16 period of time or that's pretty much it uh, in what is essentially a big black hole of futility. It's hard to, Ari, but I think when you look at this team, I think especially when you look at the 15-16 team, there are still specific memories of that run. Even though they didn't win a World Series, I think fans can still point to a time where they were 
and remember watching that game and the specific moments that really made that game exciting. I think it's important to recognize your history and to do that. I think the Blue Jays are still a team that has enough history that they can get away with it. I think there's some other teams that would struggle to do that, but I think the Blue Jays can get away with it knowing they won back-to-back World Series. They had a good run in the 80s as well towards the latter half of that decade. So I think they can still use that to their advantage if you're trying to sell fans on not only nostalgia, but on the current state of this team. Well, certainly only time will tell, because it always does. And as long as we don't end up trying to outdo what the Maple Leafs fans had to experience with their, uh, what is now over half a century of futility, I suppose that's why my main concern is on the baseball side of things, that this organization understand how delicate and frail the fan relationship is to this team, but how incredibly passionate and vulnerable it can be as well. So I certainly appreciate all three of you helping me to articulate that. Let's go around the table now and uh, talk to my uh, listening audience about uh, where they can find some of your work and what you guys are up to. Let's go with uh, Brent and then uh, Colin and Chris. All right, so uh, you can find my work on iTunes and on Podomatic, and the name of the program is called The Carter Show. And, uh, you know, we uh, have some great guests on there. Uh, one of them I'll, I'll hit. Doug Fox. You can follow Doug at Clutchling77. He's really big on the prospects. And obviously, you know, if you want to get your information on your September call-ups, listen to a couple of those episodes. And, uh, you know, you can tweet me at Brent Cardi Show. I don't really go on Twitter anymore or Facebook, but hey, you know, at the end of the day, who knows? Maybe I will. Good, good advice. Good advice. Yeah, you can follow me at Teske Radio, and I work for a couple different outlets. I work for Sportsnet 5 Night Fan on weekends. You can hear my work there. I also work in Peterborough, Ontario for Extra 90.5 FM. Monday to Friday, you can listen to the regulars, and we talk all things sports. We talk a lot of Toronto Blue Jays. I also host my own podcast called The Good, The Bad, The Teske. We go over the three biggest sports stories of the week. We've got guests that come on as well. And coming up this week on the show, we've got James Duffy joining us from TSN. So look forward to that. Follow me at Teske Radio. We're working on getting the show up on iTunes as well. That's something that's in the works in the near future. You know, Colin, just listening to that makes me want to stop recording immediately and just listen to your show. That's it. That's my job. Chris, hurry up before we just pull the plug on this one. Yeah, you can uh, find my work at uh, Baseball for Brains uh, is my Twitter handle, Baseball uh, Number Four Brains, and then of course uh, I'm one of the site experts over at uh, JaysJournal dot com. I do a pretty much a daily piece over uh, over there, and we've got all kinds of uh, all kinds of great writers that work in our in our stable as well, including Mr. Ari Shapiro, and you can find the podcast like this one at JaysJournal dot com as well. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute slice. I appreciate your time as always and and hope to have all three of you back on the show soon. You've been listening to Brent Hardy, Chris Henderson, and Colin Desky. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Ari. Appreciate it. Pleasure's always. Pleasure's mine, Ari.